Good morning, everyone. It's a beautiful day out. I love that the sun's out. It's been so gloomy. I mean, it's nice. I mean, this is January, February. I mean, goodness gracious. You look out and you're like, there's sun and it's not, you know, 10. So I'm, I'm, that's a win for me. When I was driving in this morning, I'm like, it's 40. Yes, it's supposed to be sunny. Yes. So um, I'm, I'm enjoying that as I look out the door at the door today. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Malachi. Uh, if you've been here, you know that. We've been going through the book of Malachi um, this winter. We'll uh, finish the book of Malachi up here in a couple of weeks, and then uh, we'll start on the book of Esther. And so you can kind of get prepared for that. The theme, of course, we've talked about of the book of Malachi is I love and I don't change. God continually telling his people all the way through Scripture, I love and I don't change. That, that's who I am. I, I am a loving God. I love myself. I love my family, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I don't change. I'm the same to yesterday, today, and forever. And um, there's a lot of people that want to change God's love, change the definition of love, change who God is, and that's not what he does. And the name that he uses for himself over and over in the book of Malachi is Yahweh Sabaoth, which means the Lord who has armies, the boss, the, the master who has armies at his disposal. But as you read through the book of Malachi, it's amazing that he has held back those armies. Why? That's what we're going to look at today. Because today, what we're going to look at is this. How can we return? How can we return? You know, this is a big question that we are seeing in our country right now. Our country seems to be torn apart. Some people want to return back to a time they think it was so awesome. By the way, there was never a time when it was really awesome. We've, we've been sinners and we've had major issues throughout our entire history as a country. No matter how far back you trace it back, you find sinful people in desperate need of God to intervene and save them. Does that mean it maybe wasn't quite as wicked as it is now? Maybe. Maybe it's just a different wicked, right? And so for us as Christians, for those who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Messiah from the Old Testament, he is the Savior that came, for those of us who believe that, we understand that no matter what nation we live in, it's temporary. No matter where we live, it's temporary because as we're going to look at this morning, there's going to come a day when he returns. That's what our Bible teaches. He's going to return to the earth to reestablish what was started in Genesis in the original garden with Adam and Eve that we turned our back, Adam and Eve turned their back, and he says, I, I want to restore back the relationship, and someday I'm going to return and fully restore that. But when I come back and do that, if you're not ready, it's going to go bad for humanity, for anyone who isn't in right relationship with the God of the universe, and he explains what that looks like, and we'll look at that this morning. So the question for us that we have to ask is, okay, if, if God really loves us, if he doesn't change, if he's going to return, how do I return to him? How do I respond to the reality of, of who this, this being is in the universe? How do I respond to the reality of the nation that I live in? How do I spot, respond to the reality of the marriage that I live in? How do I respond to the reality of the family that I'm, that I'm in and the church? That, how do I respond so that I'm constantly looking to return to him because I recognize that he wants to return to me? He wants a relationship with me. So, so how, how does that work? And that's the Bible. Scripture over and over revealing over and over again to Israel, his people in the Old Testament, who Malachi is writing to, 
And he's trying to get them to see that I've done everything I can to continue to return to you and return to you when I should have just wiped you out, when I should have just taken my hands off and said, I'm done. And I just continue to return and extend the opportunity for you to return to me. But you don't want to. And then when you do return, and that's what we're going to look at in Malachi, when you do think that you've returned, and I start to point out some things that maybe expose your heart that, no, you really haven't returned yet. There's still some things you're holding on to that I want you to surrender to me. I want you to, to lay down. We get offended and we want to run away instead of going to him. And so that's what we're going to look at as we dive in this morning. Again, this is the theme of Malachi. It says an oracle. That's a word um, from on high. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Remember, Malachi means my messenger. I have loved you, says the Lord. That's how he starts this book out. Man, I have loved you. I, I've been, we've got all these books of the Old Testament. He's like, I've written down the, the law. I've written down the prophets. I've written down the history. I've, I've written down the Psalms. I've written down everything for you. How much more do I have to prove or show how much that I love you? I could have just said, forget it. I'll just let you kind of kill each other, and then I'll wait one day, and I'll come back and then start over. He could have done that. He didn't. He continues to reach out to us. And then he says, but you ask, how have you loved us? And that's where we see our, our world today is people, oh, there, if there's a God, how could he let this happen? And if he's really loving, then, 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 then why doesn't he let people love how they want to love? It's because he designed us and created us. He knows what we're supposed to be used for, and he doesn't want us using each other. That's why we have the law and the prophets and those things. And so he says, I've not changed. But I, Yahweh, that's the name he gave himself for us to call him. He says, I have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. He looks and he says, I had every right. If you read the stories of the Bible, go, go back. If you're doing a Bible reading plan, it's amazing when you read the Old Testament. How in the world God didn't just smite people? Like, they do the stupidest things. And if you really look at your own heart, there's got to be days when you wake up and go, how is he putting up with me today? With my heart, my attitude, what I've done. And, and he says, I'm doing it because I love and I don't change. Because I don't change, I'm trying to save people. I'm trying to show them my covenant. I'm trying to show them who I am as a God who's consistent. So we jump in, chapter 3, verse 1. We looked at this last week. He said, see, I'm going to send my messenger. Remember, the word my messenger is Malachi. So he could have said, I'm going to send my Malachi, a Malachi. I'm going to send you a prophet, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come into his temple, the messenger of the covenant you desire. See, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And we looked last week that in the New Testament, we know that this verse specifically refers to John the Baptist. The New Testament says this verse and it even quotes this verse in the New Testament. John the Baptist, who was the one who was a cousin of Jesus, came before Jesus. Jesus and John the Baptist leapt towards one another in the womb when their moms were together. Like, I mean, it was that incredible what God was doing. John paved the way as a messenger for the true messenger, which was Jesus. Yahweh who saves is coming. And John said, repent. Repent means return. Instead of going this way, turn the other direction and return to the God who is. That's what repent means. It's not a dirty word. It's not, it just means to, to stop going that way and go this one. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to think this way. I'm going to try to have a whole brand new way of thinking. 
That's what it means. And so he says, he's coming. He's coming, says the Lord of hosts. Again, God loves us so much that he constantly sends us messengers. The New Testament said he loves us so much, we'll see this morning, that he actually sends his Holy Spirit, who is the ultimate messenger, into our hearts, that when we receive him, when we believe what is true about Jesus as the Son of God, that he died, that he paid the price for our sins, that he came back to life, and we put our faith and trust in that for our lives, the Bible says we're given the Holy Spirit then as a messenger to our heart to help us to understand that he's coming. He's coming. You know, we're getting ready for a wedding right now. My daughter's engaged. And it's kind of been fun and to think about and deal with. And it's been also been not so fun when you look at the price of things. and <laughs> You know what I mean? You're like, oh, wow. And so, but I look at this and, I, and, and it's, I'm watching this desire to prepare for this moment, right? This desire to know that it's coming. There's, there's a date coming. There's a, there's a wedding coming. There's this desire to realize that, and, and like everybody's in on it. Both families are in on this. Like, how do we do this? And, and we want to honor everyone as best we can. And what does that look like? And who gets included on the guest list, right? That's a big deal. Because the guest list, the larger it gets, the more expensive it gets, <laughs> right? It's like, you can have four people. Let's go. Wait, that's me, your mom, and your, okay, we're good. Let's have it, you know? No, like, and the balance between the guest list and what you can afford to do and the resources that you have versus you want to invite everyone to see what God did for my oldest daughter and what we went through with her. It is a celebration for us. This wedding is a celebration. That doesn't mean it's going to turn out great. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I just know that this moment, it's celebratory. There's no, I don't have an angst. I don't have like a depression. I'm like, oh, I'm losing my... No, I'm like, this is, wow. This is great what God is doing. And so it's like we want to include everybody in on that message. I can't afford to include everyone in on that message, right? And so it's a struggle. And it listen... It's the same way with God, except here's the deal. God has unlimited resources. The problem isn't his resources. The problem is we won't show up to the wedding when we're invited because it costs us our resources. My time, my money, my relationships. So I'm not going to show up because it's just, I got, I got stuff to do. You see that? That's why he's writing this. He's like, Malachi is preparing 400 years in advance to say, listen, for 400 years, it's going to be really quiet. It's going to seem like nothing's going on. It's going to seem like you're forgotten. And I don't know if there's something you're dealing with in your life that, that, that just seems like I keep returning to the Lord on this, and he just seems silent. Can I just tell you, he's not. He's constantly sending the messenger of his Holy Spirit. He's constantly sending moments into your life. The problem isn't him. The problem is we've got to wake up and see it. We've got to wake up and go, I'm just, I know he's going to show up. I know he's coming back. I'm just waiting. I'm just, I can't wait. I can't wait. Here it comes. Day's approaching. That's our response. Malachi goes on and he says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? 
Who can endure? Right before this, God is talking about his love and it's God's love for his people. And he says, and who will be able to stand? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a cleansing lie. He will be a, like a refiner and purifier of silver. To purify metal, you have to get it really hot. You heat it up till it's super hot. Then you, you, you clean off the dross. It's called dross that comes to the top, the impurities. You scoop it off and then you get it hot some more. And then more impurities come up. And you just keep scooping off over and over again, over and over again, the impurities until you have purity. That, that's what God says his desire is. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold, silver. Listen, you want purity. We live in a world that longs for purity. So much so, we'll buy water. In bottles, expensively, hoping that it's more pure than the stuff Bloomington puts out, only to find out this stuff was filled up in another city and shipped to us. <laughs> and then we get upset, right? They lied. No. They just said it's purified. They didn't tell you how. They could have run this thing through a strainer. They could have taken this thing and run it through, you know, your, your pasta strainer and been like, we purified it. We got a few things out. There, it's pure. You don't know, you didn't ask, until you find out there's something bad in it. Now all of a sudden you want to blame everybody, right? It's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. It's the same way with God. God has told us that we live in an impure world. He's told us that we are impure without his cleansing. We have a virus right now that people are panicked about. And you know what they're doing? Everything they can do to cleanse and purify to keep this thing from spreading. Everything. They're, they're shutting down borders, not allowing people to interact with one another because they know that human beings contaminate one another. Our Bible said that in Genesis, chapter three. <laughs> it's on display. And we've been doing it ever since. And God in heaven gave us rules and laws. Do you want to know how most of these viruses come about? If you do the research for the SARS virus, the bird flu, and all these viruses, most of the time, if they would have just simply obeyed Old Testament Levitical law, none of these viruses would exist. Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to obey all the Old Testament. Peter saw a sheet coming down. There were animals in it that were clean and pure, and, and, and we have to struggle with that and what we eat and don't eat. I get that, and we should struggle with that. But as I was talking to the show choir dads last night, I, 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 we were sitting there talking about the virus, and I said, you know, God has some wise things to say about food, you know? Like, for example, bacon. Like, it's not good for you. We know that. Like, it's not. I mean, look, it's just fat. You, you fry it, and it's like, it, it's in fat. And then you eat it, and it's still in fat. And we know it's bad. And one of the dads said, he said, you know, I, here's what I just know. I just know that, when my arm's going numb and my chest hurts, bacon makes me feel a lot better. That's what he literally said. And he smiled like, <laughs> okay. Again, I'm not against it. I'm just saying we can't not say that God isn't wise about what he says in his word. Because most of this stuff is coming from places where we look at God's law, we look at his word and we say, that's dumb, that's old, it doesn't mean anything, God's changed, I don't need to know it, I don't need to understand it, I'm just going to do my thing, and God forgives me, and so hopefully it works out in the end. 
And our heavenly father, who's trying to run a house, is up in heaven like parents trying to run their house going, what are you thinking? Have we not had this discussion? We, we talked about this forever and you just do the opposite. Return, repent. <laughs> and it's the same thing. We long for purity. Here's the deal. We long for purity until, until the mess we want to keep, God challenges. And when he challenges the mess that we want to keep, well, that's not that dirty. That's, that's no big deal. It's like, no, I, I want you to see that I'm a purifier. I want you to be whole and well and good. And that doesn't mean that we're going to save our lives here on the earth, by the way. We have Christians right now, missionaries all around the globe, that have chosen to go to very impure places. And their kids are sick. They've lost spouses because those impurities have killed their loved ones. Because it's more important for them to bring the purity of the gospel message, the good news about who God is, than the purity of the world. And they're willing to say, I recognize I'm moving into impurity and it will probably cost me and my family. They don't say, it's not going to be any big deal. God's going to protect us. We're not going to get sick. No. They recognize that if I do this, it may not end well. But it's worth it. It's worth it to go there. It's worth it to give my life. That's the story of the missional effort over the last hundred years. Because, see, we're not called to separate ourselves in a way that doesn't engage the world. We're called to separate ourselves in a way that we engage the world and tell them how God is different, how his laws are good, how he, that's our role. But if we don't know it, if we don't know how to return ourselves, then how can we lead anyone else to return? If we don't know what the book says and the times that God asked his people to return, then people are going to see right through that. And they're going to look and say, hypocrite. And he goes on in Titus 2.11. This is Paul writing to Titus, one of his fellow workers. And he says to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. See, it, it's not about law. All law does is point out how desperate we are to be purified, how desperate we need a savior, how desperate we are for someone, something to save us. That's what the law is designed to do. It's not designed to save us. It's designed to show us how desperately we need to be saved. Does that make sense? Because you can get real confused on that and then all of a sudden you're trying to obey all the laws because you're trying to get in good with God and then you show up to heaven one day and God's going to look at you and say, I don't know you. You, you totally missed the whole message of scripture. And he says, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. Not to separate completely our, no, but to live in the midst of it and then say, while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And remember, that's a loaded term. He's saying Yahweh, who is the Messiah, who is the Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. That's all Old Testament in that phrase. He's like laying it out there. And then he says, he gave himself, look at this, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people that are eager now to do good works. That They're eager to want to know. They're eager to want to know what to do and how to obey him. Yeah, I just, 
How do, we, how do we do this new family? I'm in, a new, I'm in a new house. I don't know how to do this. Show me what we're supposed to do. I'm eager about it. And instead, we come to God and we're like, well, that's not my family. I'm not doing it. Nope. Uh-uh. God's like, what? I invited you in and now you're denying everything. No. There's a story in Scripture where Jesus says they invite the wedding guests and the wedding guests come and some of them don't have the right clothes on. And they're thrown out. They're not allowed. They haven't been clothed rightly. We are clothed, according to this verse, not by what we've done in works, but because he clothes us in our in his righteousness. He, he covers our sin. That was the Old Testament. They had the sin in the... In the um, Ark of the Covenant, and there was a cover on it, and then they sprinkled, poured and sprinkled blood on top of it to show the covering that we needed from the wrath and holiness of God, a covering that only God could provide. And that's who Jesus is for us. He is this Savior who comes along, and he just covers us up. And those are the pictures we love in Scripture. When he comes and he kind of covers over the woman who's being stoned for adultery, ready to be stoned, and he covers her and says, no. And he withholds the wrath she rightly deserves to put on display his grace. And then he looks at her just like this and he says, don't do this anymore. Don't do this anymore. I'm not going to be here next time. I'm going to have to die. And if you keep in this lifestyle, I, it's not going to go well for you. And he says, instructing us to deny godlessness. Look. You can't deny godlessness in your life if you first don't know the grace of God. It's impossible. Let me state that again. You cannot stop godlessness in your life if you first don't embrace the grace of God. Because what happens is you start to not do God, uh, you start to try to not do godless things and worldly lusts in your own strength, and it leads you to a very, very dark place. Versus understanding the love I love and I don't change that he gives. And then that motivates us to say, man, I want to love someone who loves me that much back as much as I can. I just want to respond to the love you've given me that I don't deserve. And I'm not doing it because I think I'm going to get more better in with you. You've already given me all your love. You've covered me completely. I just, what do you want from me? He goes on and he says this in Titus, say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Titus says these things, and he says, you're going to have to say these things, and it's going to be weird to people. This is not the gods of our world. The gods of our world are all based on works. They're based on you do these things, and you get to a certain level with that being, and then that being lets you go to another level and another level, and then that's how the world system works. The God of the Bible system does not work that way at all. He extends a relationship, you embrace it, don't embrace it, and it doesn't matter how much of his laws you do. If you've rejected that relationship, if you've not surrendered to the beauty of his grace and his glory and his justice and who he is, there's nothing else you can do until you do that. And then once you do it, he amazingly gives you the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the church, through others, the ability to actually do it and encourage one another to do it. And when we don't see people doing it, he says, you're going to have to rebuke with authority. You're, you're, you're going to have to look at people and say, no. I've got a friend of mine. He says all the time, tries to convince me. He looks at me, he's like, we, we worship the same God. And I've looked at him numerous times like, no, we don't. 
He's still my friend, thankfully. But I look at him and no, we don't. Like, you believe Jesus existed. You believe in the church is a good thing for some people, not for you, but that's not the God of the Bible. We don't believe the same God. And that's what we're called to do. And he says, there are going to be people that try to disregard this message. They're going to try to make a different message about how to return to God. They're going to tell you you can be good enough. They're going to manipulate your emotions, manipulate your actions, tell you what to do. I am telling you, don't listen to that. Don't. Now, does that mean we don't hold one another accountable? No, we do it in the grace of God. We look at one another and say, that doesn't seem loving to God or to others. That doesn't seem like you're acting in grace. It seems like you're doing this for works to get something. That's how we confront it. He goes on and he says this in Malachi, but who can endure the day of his coming? We just read that. And then he says, then they will present offerings to the Lord. Look at this, in righteousness. He says, who can endure the day of his coming? It's impossible. We're in trouble. Oh my goodness, it's going to be bad. And then he goes on and he says he's going to purify Levi, right? He's going to go back and purify the priests who he just called unpure. He's going to do it, not they're going to do it. It doesn't say Levi's going to start acting better and get pure. He says, no, 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 I'm going to purify Levi because they can't do it. And then he says, then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Pause for a minute. The Old Testament system, most people think, was designed to get right with God. That you went to present a sacrifice because you knew you weren't right with God, so you brought a sacrifice. And that would make you right with God. Unfortunately, that's kind of what people teach today. That's not the whole story. We're to present offerings to the Lord in righteousness, it means we're already right when we present to him. How in the world do we do that? When I read the Bible and I see my sin, how in the world am I going to present offerings to him right when I'm not right? How am I going to do that? You're not going to do it. He's going to do it on your behalf. He's going to do it and offer, and he says, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in days of old and years gone by. He looks and he says, and then finally, not only am I going to purify Levi, but I am going to honor the offerings of Judah. You know what the, off, the, the, the most amazing offering of the tribe of Judah was? Let me say that again. Do you know what the most amazing offering that came from the tribe of Judah to ever be given to humanity? Good. Great Sunday school answer. Perfect. That's what Malachi says. He's like, Judah's going to offer the most amazing offering of, of days gone by. If you're reading this, listen, if you're reading this and you're an Old Testament Jew, Israelite, and you're looking at this and you've been living the wrong way, none of this makes sense. You're looking panicked that he's coming. You're looking, I can't do this. The proper response at this moment is to return. Oh my goodness, I can't make myself pure. I, the priests are unpure. I, I, don't, I can't be right. I, oh man, I, I don't know what to do. I, I throw myself at your mercy. Help me. That's the proper response. 
2 Corinthians 5.20 says it this way. This is what Paul says when he's writing to the church in Corinth. This is his second letter to the church in Corinth. I quoted one last week. This is his second letter after he wrote his first letter. And after the first letter, the people in Corinth actually obeyed him. They actually did some obedience to the rebuke that he sent them. He said, you shouldn't do this. And they actually obeyed. And now he's writing them a second letter to encourage them. Like, good job. That's a good example of how the church should work. But I still have a few other things I want to talk to you about. And he says, therefore, therefore, we are ambassadors for the Messiah, for the one, the messenger. We're we're his ambassadors. We're not our own messengers. We're not our own saviors. It's all about him, certain that God is appealing through us. Are you certain that God is appealing through you? That he's trying to appeal to people through your actions, through your words, that he's trying to use you to get people's attention. Because if your life looks exactly like everybody else's and it's not different according to his law and the way he structures things, no one's going to see that as very appealing because you just look like that. He goes on and he says, plead on the Messiah's behalf. The one who saves, the guy who's going to save everyone, appeal on his behalf. Not because you're annoyed by them and you hope they get moral so they don't bother you anymore. That's not what this says. He says, appeal on his behalf, be reconciled to God. That means get in right relationship with him. He made the one, look at this. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, Malachi says, you're going to offer offerings in righteousness. And the people at that time are going, how is that even possible? We're so unrighteous. And Paul comes back and says, you're going to offer to everyone the right Savior. You're going to be righteous people. Not because of what you've done, but because of who does it for you. I love this because he says so that we might become the very righteousness of God. That when people look, they look and say, man, if that's what it looks like to be right with God, I got to deal with that. And it's not in legalism. You see, one of the most righteous acts that we find in the New Testament, so much so that God, when you read Revelation and read the New Testament, has a special place in his heart for these people, are the martyrs. The martyrs. Now, we can have an martyr mentality that is works-based. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that genuinely tried to love people, genuinely tried to tell them, and they got nothing but cursing and even death in return. See, they showed the very righteousness of God. The reason why the martyrs are so close to his heart, it's because that's exactly what he did. He left the benefits of his life in heaven Our Savior did, and he came to earth and put himself in a body that was an impure mess around him, and he lived in that body perfectly and righteously and then died on our behalf. And he asks us to be people that would be willing to do the same. And then he says, working together with him, we also appeal to you. Look at this. Don't receive God's grace in vain. This is a message we have lost in our culture. There are so many people who who are going to get to heaven one day. The Bible is clear, New Testament and Old Testament. And they're going to stand before God one day, and he's going to look at them and say, I don't know you. And they thought they were right. They did miracles in his name. They cast out demons in his name. And he goes, well, thanks for using my name. But why were you doing it? For you? 
for my glory and for them to know me. And then he says, I heard you in an acceptable time. Maybe you're struggling with something and you think, God's not hearing me. I've returned to him over and over and over with this issue. I keep coming back to him, and it just seems like he doesn't hear me. He's like, no, there's an acceptable time. I'm trying to teach you something. It's just not the acceptable time yet. See, that's faith. Faith is the definition of saying, man, I really want out of this life. It really stinks. <laughs> it's true. I don't want to be in this body of death anymore. I, I'm grateful for the life I have, but man, I know by reading scripture how much better heaven's going to be and being in his presence is going to be. That's why Paul says to live is, is Christ. To live is to be like a Messiah to others, to show them who he is. To die is gain for me. And we flip that around and it's like to be in this world and know him is to be my gain and to die is, oh, I'm going to lose all these things in the world that I built up. My family, my kids, my church. I don't want to lose those things. It's opposite. And Paul looks and he says, there's an acceptable time. And he said, I helped you in the day of salvation. He looks, I love this. He says, you may be going through something and it feels like you keep returning and you're struggling and going through it. He says, don't forget who saved you. Go back to that. When you're struggling, don't look at the struggle. Go back to the one who saved you. Go back to that moment when you realized how wretched you were, how impossible it was for you to stand in his presence, how worthy of judgment you were, and he came and he stopped the stones and he threw the blanket over and he said, you are covered, you're covered by me. Remember that moment, that is an intimate, incredible moment, and then get up from that and say, look now. And he goes on and he says, it is the acceptable time. Now is the acceptable time. I've given you everything. Go. Now's the acceptable time. What are you waiting on? Well, I was waiting on this answer. You have the answer in salvation. You know what none of the world knows. You have a hope that none of the rest of the world who doesn't know him has. It is the acceptable time for you. And then he says, now is the day of salvation. See, we're supposed to be people that are constantly looking for him, knowing that he could return at any time, and knowing that anyone that we run into is an opportunity for us to show them and tell, him, tell them who he is before that time comes. And that's what Paul's writing about. That's what Malachi's writing about. That's what the whole scripture is about. He goes on, and this is where he says it. I will come to you in judgment. And I will be ready to witness against your sorcerers and adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless and cheat the wage earner, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. They do not fear me, says Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of armies. Think about that for a minute. The God of armies says, you're not afraid of me. That's a problem because I got armies that I'm holding back right now and you don't see that. See, that's the beauty of this. And he says, I'm going to come to you in judgment. And we look at that and go, well, that's just so wrong. No, you want good judgments. You want good judges. When we live in a country that doesn't have good judges, you know what happens? Roe v. Wade happens. The slaughter of millions and millions of innocent 
children happens because we had bad judges. And that should break our hearts. And God says, I'm gonna come to you not as a judge that can be manipulated, manipulated that's looking for power or for political significance because I don't need any of that. I have it all. I'm gonna come to you and just tell you like it is. I'm gonna judge. And then he says, I'll be a ready witness. Now, why does he call out sorcerers and adulterers as the first two things? You think, aren't there other worse things in the world? Here's the deal. Tune into this. Sorcerers and adulterers, at the core of their heart, at the core of a sorcerer's heart and an adulterer's heart, whether you want to admit it or not, at their core is, I need to use somebody. Sorcerers try to use magic to manipulate God to do what they want. I'm going to use God for my benefit. Adulterers use others for their benefit. God says, I'm the God who loves why do you keep trying to use everybody? Stop. Trust me and let me use you to show them who I am. See, that's what he's talking about. And he starts with sorcerers and adulterers because he's like, those are two obvious people that they don't want me. They want to use me. They don't want to love people, God and others. They want to use them. And then he goes on, he says, against those who swear falsely. He said, then you're going to have people just tell lies. They're going to say things that just aren't true. They're going to swear, this is what's going to happen. And it's a false message. We have that going on all over the world. And if we're not careful, we can do these things too. Against those who oppress the widow and the fatherless. Euthanasia. Killing our old folks and allowing them to take their own lives because it's just too hard to take care of them. Is there, there's a difference between oppression and omission. Not a lot of difference, but there is one. But oppress the widow. You think, well, I don't oppress widows. Really? Are you sure? The fatherless. Are you sure you don't oppress the fatherless? Because I see a lot of times where I can be real judgmental towards kids and towards people, and then I realize they don't have dads. They don't have a dad in their life. Standing up to them, it's teaching them anything, it's leading them. The scriptures say that is vital. That's why God calls himself a heavenly father. Again, yesterday at the show wire competition, here we are walking down the hallway as a group of 11 dads with t-shirts on that say dad's crew on the back. And I can't tell you the number of students who stopped as we're going by, matching shirts, laughing together, kidding around, that is so cool. I heard a kid say, I wish my dad would do that. Man, be careful that you don't oppress the fatherless. My heart just broke for those kids. I'm fighting back tears, pushing a cart with a, equipment on it. Why are you crying? Is it you worn out? No, I just heard a kid who just has no father in their life. It just breaks my heart. Goes on and it says, and cheat the wage earner. Trying to get for you and not pay out what you should because of your appreciation for what's done. That's the world we live in to a T. Now, does that mean we all should earn the same wage? No, remember, Jesus told a story of paying some vineyard workers and the first guy came and said, yeah, I'll work for you all day for this price. 
and the last guy came one hour before and worked for the same price, and the last guy was really upset that the first guy got the same, or the first guy was really upset that the last guy got the same price. And God said, that's my call, not yours. And this is what he says. Are you upset that I'm generous? See, if you get upset that God is holding out on you, but he's giving to others, you know what that says? You don't understand his grace. Because if you truly understood his grace, you'd be able to rejoice with that person and point them, point them to the fact that you know that was all him, right? Like, I would love to have that, but you know that what you have is because of how great God is in your life. Isn't that amazing? I want to celebrate that with you. And hopefully you can help them understand that. And, and against those who deny justice to the foreigner. Listen, we have a whole discussion about justice and foreign and, and you know, borders. Listen, there are laws. And if you break those laws, he started. I'm going to come in judgment. He's, not, he's talking about foreigners. In Israel, when people would come as foreigners, they knew that to come into the land. Remember, Malachi is writing to the returned people of God. They are in the promised land. They're in the promised land right now. Ezra has rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls. They are in their promised land. And he looks at them and he says, don't deny justice to the foreigner. When you wanted to enter their nation, it was required for you to follow their laws. The Old Testament's clear on that. And if they didn't, there were swift penalties for not following, being a foreigner and not following the laws of Israel in, the for, in their land. Huge penalties. There will be huge penalties someday when people want to get into heaven and the doors are closed because they didn't follow what God said should be followed about a relationship with him. Does that mean we treat people badly? No, not at all. It means we love them, we pray for them, we serve them because you know why? We're lawbreakers too. Be careful about pointing out the speck in your brother's eye when there's a plank in your own, Jesus says. I got to quote that the other day, yesterday. One of the dads was, you guys will laugh at this, hopefully. One of the dads was being loud. And sometimes when you're outside of quiet areas and one of the dads is being loud, they tell you to shush, right? Like if there's noise, because it's, you know, there's performers doing their thing. One of the dads was getting really loud. And I was, so there's a group of dads, then me, then another group of dads. And I was kind of just standing by myself at that point. I was doing some texting. And one of the dads looked at me and said, hey, tell him to be quiet. And I immediately just smiled and I walked over right to the group. And they're like, no, tell, I'm like, I'm not the right person to tell him to be quiet. I, 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 I'm him. I, I struggle terribly with that. It'd probably be better if you confronted me and him. That's what I told this group of dads standing there. I'm like, have you guys ever heard that verse about pointing the speck out in his eye and I'm smacking you with a plank? Like, I said, you might want to, tell him. They all died laughing. But the purpose of saying that was to point out the fact that I need a savior and so do you. It's not wrong to point out we should be quiet. We should obey the law. I may not be the right person to do that in this moment. Because I guarantee I would have been down there like with him, the two of us, competing for levels of loudness. I struggle with that. I have to consciously think about be quiet, be mellow. And he says, they do not fear me. Listen, do you fear him? 
I don't mean like you fear him like you're afraid of him. Like, no, I mean, I mean, are you in awe of him? Is there a sense of, wow, he is the Lord who has armies, a sense of terror, and at the same time, you realize that he's covered you, and he picks you up, and he says, I don't want you to be terrified. I want you to be in awe of me, but not terrified of me. See, that's good parenting. That's exactly what he does here. He goes on and he says this, because I, Yahweh, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. Malachi is writing and he says, you realize you guys are back in the land, right? (laughs) You realize that I've given you your temple back, I've given you walls. A wicked Persian king gave you the resources to do it all. What? Yeah, you didn't even have to pay for it. Because Nehemiah got raised up and the king loved Nehemiah so much, he's like, here, you can have all this stuff. Like, what? That doesn't happen. It's amazing. And he says, look, I've not changed. I'm still loving you, idiots. That's what, that's what he said. I'm still loving you. I'm still, but I'm not going to put up with what you're doing. I can't because it's a representative to the rest of the world and I'm going to confront that. And the rest of the world needs to see that, that I'm going to, Discipline my own kids before I expect everybody else to be disciplined. That's the way it works in my house. That's exactly what he says. And so he says, do you recognize that you deserve to be destroyed and I haven't done it? And anybody with half a brain would have looked back at Jacob's life, looked back at the family life and been like, oh yeah, amazing you didn't kill my brother. Judah should have been dead. Simeon should have been dead. Joseph was pretty good, but he's like an anomaly. Like seriously, like... And when you realize that you should be destroyed and he still gives you breath and life today, a sunny day, and when you realize that, there should be a joy that floods into your heart of, he's not done with me yet. I'm still his messenger today. I've got a message to tell. I've got a message to live out. Since the days of your fathers, you've turned from my statutes. You've turned from them. Here's God, and you look at God's statutes like, oh, this looks better. From the day, you, you keep turning from my statutes, you've not kept them. I mean, that's true. You, I haven't kept them all. You haven't kept them all. And then he says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord who has armies, Yahweh Sabaoth. But you ask, how can we return? Listen, this seems like a weird question. It's not a weird question. Their theology was this. Their theology was if they are in the promised land and there is a temple and they have security, that obviously God was happy with them and God was blessing with them and we're good. And so when God looks at them and says, you need to return to me, they're going, we did. We moved from Babylon back to Israel. We returned to the land. We built you a temple. We put up walls for your city. Why are you so demanding? I have returned to you. I've done my part. See, that's the heart behind this. It's saying, how can we return? It's this idea of, we've already done a bunch. We've already uprooted our families. We've we've done all kinds of stuff for you. And, And God says, no, you haven't returned. You kinda kinda did. That was for your benefit to go back to the land. It was easy, it didn't cost you. I mean, that was... He says, you haven't returned. 
Because you've come into the land and you think you deserve it. You've come into the relationship and think you deserve it. And I can tell you think you deserve it because you don't care about what my statutes say. And if you cared about me, then you'd want to get close to me and go, what do you think, God? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And when you mess up, you would realize you can return to me and say, I messed up. Please forgive me. And I'd forgive you. It's the beauty of a relationship with him. He goes on and says this. In Acts 2.36, this is what Peter says to the house of Israel, like Malachi is speaking to the house of Israel. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, this Yahweh who saves, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, look at this. When they heard this, they didn't say, I don't care. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? What must we do? You're right. He is who he says he is. Repent, Peter said to them. Return. And be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's in the name of Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will, look at this, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll receive the messenger. You'll receive the ultimate messenger. I'm just, Peter's like, I'm just a temporary messenger. If you really believe, if you'll really submit, he wants to give you his very presence in your heart. And he wants to bring you with other people so that they can help you and you can help one another really live for him. That's what Peter's writing. He says they came under deep conviction. In Malachi, they're not under deep conviction. Their conviction is we're good. In this, they hear and they're like, oh my goodness, we're not good. And then it goes on and says, for the promise, look at this, the promise, that's the covenant. God doesn't change. His promises, his covenants are forever. They're always true. For the promise is for you. He's talking to Israelites. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. Like, it's for everyone. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. This is no different than the message we have today. And that generation was just as corrupt, if not more, than our day. It hasn't changed. And when we get comfortable and we're in the land and we've got our stuff and, and we get there, it's real easy to forget what our mission is in the world. And the Lord has a way of saying, you know, in my family, when you start to get that comfortable and you're like eating Cheetos in your bed and playing video games, I kick you out for a little while. I still love you. But you're going to have to, like, realize how much I love you. You're going to have to go feed some slop to pigs and, you know, then figure out one day, oh, my goodness, my Lord. Yeah, the servants that come and so the, the AC guy that comes work on the houses, my dad treats better than I'm being treated. Like, I, I want to just be an AC guy that works on my dad's furnace. Like, that's good enough for me. Like, when you come to that place, now you're ready to really, like, that's the story of the prodigal son. Later in Acts, Paul says this, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance. God's like, I haven't destroyed you yet. I've been overlooking the times of ignorance. And he's speaking to Gentiles here. Paul was writing to the Gentiles. So that first message was Peter to Jews, to Israelites. This message is to Gentiles. He's like, look, you haven't responded to the covenants of the Old Testament. You may not even know them. You don't even know God's trying to call the people. But I am telling you, God has overlooked your stupidity. He's looking past that 
Now God commands all people everywhere to repent. It's not just for the Israelites, it's for all. Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. That's Yahweh Sabaoth, that's Jesus himself. He has provided proof of this to everyone, look at this, by raising him from the dead. The proof is in the pudding. (laughs) He came back from the dead. No one's done that. He knows what's on the other side and he knows how you can have life forever. Do you believe that? Do you surrender to that? Do you believe that life, the life you want, the life you long for, the things that that you're so struggling to give up, do you believe that returning to him is better than those things you're chasing? That that you believe that if I I could die to all of that and I know he'll raise it up. I don't know how, I don't know what it's gonna look like, but I can trust that I can leave everything and he's gonna bring a new life that I have no idea how to get, no idea how to live, and if he doesn't do it through me, I'm in trouble. That's the gospel message. It goes on and it says this. As he's looking at them and they question him and he says, how can we return? God is so good about getting practical with us. He talks about sorcerers and adulterers and false witness, and those are things we should check in our own heart. Are we doing these things? Are we believing those things that lie at the root of those actions? And he goes right to this, and Brian's going to preach on this next week. He goes right to this, and he says, will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. How do we rob you? Now, pause, pause. God says you're robbing me. Let me ask you, what what does God own? What's God's? Everything. Now God's getting ready to point out a specific thing, but what he's getting at is you think there's stuff that's yours. It's not yours. None of it is. And you're going to die, and whatever I resurrect actually was in my name, and whatever dies with you wasn't about me. That's the judgment. He's like, you're robbing me. Let me ask you. Think in your own heart this week. Time, talent, treasure, stories, testimonies. How in those four T's, time, talent, treasures, and testimonies, did you rob God this week? You looked at God and said, I deserve this. Some me time. We all struggle with it. How have you robbed him? And what's your response to that? It shouldn't be, how do we rob you? It should be, yeah, I'm a robber. I'm a bank robber. And I love to, oh wait, sorry. That's a VeggieTales. Um, just popped in there. We all rob God. We think the time is ours. It's not our time. We think the money's are it's God's. It's all God's. So what do I do with what God gives me each day? When I wake up and I, God, what do you want me to do with you? Don't rob him. And then he says, specifically, by not making the payments of the tents and the contributions, he says, the way you're really robbing me is I've put you back in the land. I have blessed you. Your crops are growing. You're back in the place of the Old Testament. And guess what? You're acting the same way they did. You still aren't recognizing that all of that is for me and I'm asking you just for a portion of it and it's too big of a struggle for you. I'm just asking you for a portion. It's like, oh, that's so hard. No, it's not. It's just a portion. I'm letting you, 
Their tithes and contributions probably added up to, to somewhere between 25 and 30%. With all the tithes and contributions that you would make, because again, at this time, the government, not totally, because they had to pay you know, to, to Babylon too, so it was probably even higher at this time, more like 40 or 50%, because they still had to pay their taxes to Babylon and then obey all their taxes of the Old Testament and the things that were there. This was serious, and God's looking at them saying, it doesn't even bother you that you, you rob me. You rob me when you tell stories. You rob me when you, with your time. You rob me with your talent. You rob, stop robbing me. Just stop going that way and say, God, it's all yours. And today I'm going to get up and it's your day. And when you mess up, here's the beauty of it. When you mess up, just look at him and say, yeah, I robbed that. I had that opportunity and I didn't take it. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. And he's like, okay, I forgive you. Let's take advantage of the next one. Maybe go back and tell that person, I should have told you this and I didn't. Like, take that opportunity. Believe, here's the deal. Believe that you can return to him and he'll give you his grace. And believe that, that returning to him, are you ready for this, is worth it. That it's worth it to say no to these things, to watch him raise up these things. Just believe that. Because that's what Malachi is saying. So how can you return? I don't know how God wants you to return this week. It's Monday tomorrow, which is a day, right? could be Tuesday or Wednesday. But in our minds, Monday's the big day. How, how will you think through today getting ready to return to him tomorrow? How will you return to him right now at this acceptable time? He wants us to return to him with our lives and say, here it is. It's a mess. It's all I got. It's like, That's all right. That's all I need. I need your heart. Think through your life. Time, talent your stories, your treasures? Have you surrendered them? Have you returned with what God's given you? And you look at it and you think, oh, that's so awesome. Have you ever just went, you know what? This stuff is all awesome, but it's not mine. And have you just went over here and said, God, what do you want me to keep? It's yours. What, what, do, you, what do you want me to do? That's the message of our book.